Good morning, or good afternoon, should I say to you, because it's the second shift, as it were. Well, it's good to be with you, and as I always said, it's always an honor and a privilege to, to share God's word with you. We're getting back on the series that Chris started with uh, John. Uh, we had a little interlude with uh, Simon Fordham, who spoke to us from Ezekiel and did a great job there. So, as I said, it was pedigree charm. It was solid. It was good, <laughs> you know. It was good, solid meat there, you know, good stuff. So listen to that if you get the opportunity. Now this morning, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul. And the title of this message is, Calm in the Midst of the Storm. Just a little bit about Paul. Paul was born in Tarsus. And in fact, he's responsible for 12 of the 27 books that we have in the New Testament. That's about 44% of the books. He was a Jew. And he was actually educated under the greatest Jewish scholar of the time called Gamaliel at Jerusalem. So that means that Paul was an educated man. He was an academic. You know, if he was alive today, he would have studied theology at St. John's College, Cambridge. (laughs) (laughs) But he was an avowed enemy of the Christian faith. He sought to destroy anyone who professed allegiance to it. And you can read about that in Acts 9, 1 to 2. Now, on his way to Damascus, with letters from the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem to imprison anybody who professed to be a follower of Jesus, Paul had a supernatural encounter with Jesus, which was life-changing. In fact, if you read Acts 26 there, and he's Paul standing before Agrippa, and he's standing there with also Felix, and both Agrippa and Felix are all in their kind of royal apparel. And he's there in chains. And he says to Agrippa, King Agrippa, he says, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. And what he's talking about is what happened to him in Acts 9 when God spoke, Jesus spoke to him and commissioned him to take the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. That's to us. Now then, by the time we pick up the story, Paul has had done three journeys. And if you look at the distance that he's actually traveled, if you look through Asia, it's phenomenal because, it's phenomenal, sorry. (laughs) It's phenomenal because the reality, he didn't have a plane, he didn't have a car, he didn't have a bus. It was either you walk or a donkey. Hundreds of miles. And by the time when we pick up the story here in Acts 27, we get here, he is on his fourth journey. Now, what's happened, because of the Jewish zealots, Paul now finds himself in problems with the Jewish authorities. So, when he stands before Felix and he stands before Agrippa, he's giving account of his testimony, and as it were, Agrippa says to Felix, he said, well, this man has done nothing wrong to deserve death. If he had not appealed to Caesar, then we would have let him go. But as Agrippa said to him, to a Caesar you have appealed, to a Caesar you will go. But God had a plan in sending him there. So we pick it up here now in chapter, chapter, chapter 27. They're looking to find a ship that will take them to Italy. So here we go. Acts 27, 9 to 12. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already be, become dangerous. By now it was after the day of atonement. So Paul warned them, men... I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, 
instead of listening to what Paul had said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided he would sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. <laughs> now, by way of comment here, much time had been lost and Paul warned the centurion. However, he listened to the expert who, of course, was the pilot, who was depending on, of course, on his own knowledge and experience. Now, I want to cut to the what we call in theological terms the exegesis, the practical part, the things that we, we need to know. As a follower of Jesus, we may well find ourselves working in organizations where we sense that God, that the decisions that that organization has made is not a good one. And we make our comment, but it's ignored. Or we tend to find ourselves as the only follower of Jesus that works within the organization. And again, any opinions that we give are ignored. Now, we also fall into the trap of thinking, well, you know, I'm the only person there, and I'm in the minority, like an ethnicity, you know, BME group. We are, you know, marginalized, etc., etc. Now, this is interesting thinking, because, you see, I'm reminded of Elisha and his servant Gehazi. The Syrian army have come to get Elisha. And the reason for that is because Elisha tells the king what the armies are going to do before they've done them. Done it, rather. So anyway, the Syrians are there. Gehazi is running around like a headless chicken, but Elisha is cool. And Elisha goes to God, open my servant's eyes. Because what he can't see is the whole host of heaven there, and he's more concerned about the host of heaven than the army, the Syrian army. You see, he had a different perspective on the situation. You as a follower of Jesus, when you go to work on Monday, you are not in the minority. All of heaven's resources are available to you. All of the hosts of heaven are there. You have authority in the name of Jesus because of what he has accomplished on Calvary and because he's dealt with your sin. Then Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew 28 there, he says, 18, all authority has been given to me, now go. Right? So when you are there in your office on your own, you are not alone. All authority that has been given to the Son has been given to you. You are not a victim. You are not alone. In fact, Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Just a few verses after that in Matthew 28, 19, 20. So we need to have a paradigm shift in our minds to the fact that if you're the only person there, you're, in the minority. you're not in the minority, you're in the majority. Because you're a follower of Jesus and God's authority and his spirit rests upon you. Hmm. Now then, However, we go on. What was Paul's advice to them? What was his advice then based on when he said to them, look, things are not going to go very well? Was it based on his fact that he was a seaman? Well, we know that he was a tent maker. So it wasn't this, he had prior knowledge. 
You had no knowledge. It was based on something else. It was based on the fact that he had received the revelation, an insight which was not based on his knowledge or experience or trade. Now, as followers of Jesus, if we have Jesus at our center, and we had a whole series on that, we have access to wisdom and understanding which is beyond our training, beyond our experience. 1 Corinthians 1.30 said this, that, you know, we have the mind of Christ. Now, biblical examples, Joseph, he had dreams, and God gave him insight as to what would happen economically to Egypt. And when he went and told the prime minister, and you remember he was a Hebrew, he was in the minority, and in fact they didn't particularly like shepherds, in fact it says they were an abomination to them. He goes from the pit for the palace and becomes prime minister and saves Egypt so that God's plan can continue for his people. Daniel, he served three different kings and he had wisdom and insight above all the sad traps of that time. Now, you say to yourself, well, I'm not a Daniel. I'm not a Joseph. But you're a child of God. You've been born from above. And you have access to that wisdom. Now, how do we access the wisdom? Well, James 1.5 says this. If any one of you lacks wisdom... You should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So what is the thing here that we need to do? We need to ask. We need to ask. More often, you know what happens, you know, we, we plow along in our own strength, and then it all begins to go pear-shaped, and then we're coming to the Lord, oh, Lord Jesus. And, you know, and I think, I'm sure the Father's like, well, if you'd have come to me in the first place, I would have sorted it out. Yeah, but I had to let you mess up so that you know that ultimately your strength's not going to do it, but I can help you because I made you and I know you. Okay, so we can ask him. All right, let's look at our next point. Let's get into the storm, Acts 27, 13 to 20. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called a northwester swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and we were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Caldea, we hardly were able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it abroad. Then they passed ropes under the sheep itself to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Cetrus. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. So, for what we see here, all the attempts of the men to overcome the effects of the storm failed. In fact, they were overwhelmed. All the strategies that they employed failed. Now, when does Paul decide to speak to them? when all hope had gone. And herein we have a principle. 
in our journey through life, often the storms, the crisis, and the setbacks are the very things that God uses to rob us of our self-reliance. In other words, when stuff starts to go wrong in our lives, you see, what happens is we all have our own little strategies. We develop these strategies to survive. But what God does is he allows stuff to come upon us so that ultimately the strategies fail. And here's the point. It's when all hope has gone that generally we're ready to come to God. Tracy smiling at me. <laughs> Been there, know that. <laughs> it's, isn't it? It's, it? You know, people say, I came to Jesus. That's not the truth. The truth was this, that you were an enemy. You were fighting God and you were resisting him. And then finally, you came to him. And then when you come, you know, to give your testimony, you say, I came to Jesus. No, in reality, you were dragged there. You were out there loving the sin and everything, and you didn't want to do it anymore, and you were just into it, and then, you know, and then things started to go wrong, and then, you know, then you were thinking, oh, as I remember one good friend of mine, I think Andrew Buchanan was saying that, you know, his dad was into church and all the rest of it, and then one day God's power comes down, and this is what he said, oh, no, it's real. <laughs> it's real. In other words, you know, oh, I'm going to I'm have to turn to God now. I thought I could just, oh, you know. But yeah. But that's how it is. We don't come to Jesus, we were dragged. While you were enemies, Christ died for us, is what the scripture tells us. Is that right? So, it's when we all hope is gone, that's when God starts to do stuff in us. Because of our independence and our self-reliance. So he has to undo some of our strategies, and he sends storms and crisis and trauma. And it's not always the devil. It's Father trying to get our attention. Okay, Acts 27, 25 to 28. Hope in the midst of the storm. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice, not to sail from Crete. That's a nice way of saying, told you so. <laughs> that Paul, of course, is gracious. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep your courage because none of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul, you must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who are with you on the ship. So keep your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Thank you, was that great? Now, here's the thing. Who was it that stood up? Was it the pilot? Was it the centurion? Was it the soldiers? No, it's Paul, the prisoner. In the hierarchy of needs, the centurion is at the top, yeah? The pilot is at the top. And then there's the soldiers, then there are the prisoners. But it's Paul. And why? He has a word from God about his situation which allowed him not only to persevere, James 1.12 said, blessed is the man or woman who perseveres under trial, for in due time they will receive their reward. So if you're going through stuff, persevere. But also bring hope and encouragement to the beleaguered and battered crew. This is wonderful. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus, the fact is this, the storms will come. 
I used to go to Sunday school, we used to sing that song, the wise man built his house upon a rock, and the foolish man built his house upon the sand, and the rains came down, and the floods came up, and the rains came down, and the floods came up, and the house on the rock stood firm. Now, here's the point. What was the common thing to both the houses? The storms. Thank you, Mr. Simon Forden. Bless your heart. Right? So, it was the storms. So, what it's telling us is whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, storms are coming. Yeah? Your life is going to be hit by stuff. However, if our lives are founded on the rock, I, his word, and we're not just talking about the fact that you have knowledge of the word, what you'll find is that when you are reading, God will quicken a word to you. Proverbs 3, 5, 6. Lost a job at the college. God speaks to me, says, don't. In fact, he spoke to me twice. Because he spoke to me, then he spoke prophetic word, vileness, don't trust in your own understanding. You always acknowledge him and who will direct your path. Proverbs 3, 5, at speed. <laughs> five years on, we're now working for ourselves. In fact, last, month, last week, last two weeks, I earned more money in two weeks than I had a month so I can have the rest of the time off. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Yeah? You see, but, he had to, but I had to trust God. I had to, because he'd give me a word. I remember I said, what are we going to do? I said, okay, let's just, God give me this word. And you see, you, you need to have a word that you can hold on to. So when the storm comes, you know, losing your job is a bit of a storm. You know, especially when it's the main source of income and other things. But whatever it is, if you've got that word, you can stand, you can be calm. When everybody's running around like a headless chicken, you can remain calm in the midst of the storm because you have God's word in your heart. When we have God's word for any situation, we become the head and not the tail. We take the lead in the midst of the storm. Deuteronomy. Well, let me tell you a story. Rachel, my daughter, she was, she was looking to get an increase in salary for the work she was doing. She hadn't got the recognition that she should have got. So she said to me, Dad, I'm going in to see the head teacher and the finance director. And she prepared herself well, looked at the college, school policies, etc., and she knew what she wanted. So I texted her, I just felt the scripture come Deuteronomy 28, 13, you shall be the head and not the tail. You shall be above and not below. Anyway, she starts to negotiate with the head teacher. So the head teacher turns to the finance man and said, what is the college policy or school policy? He says, well, I don't know. I'm out of here. Bye. So she's there with the head teacher. And head teacher just goes to her, Rachel, tell me what you want. So she went, blah, 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 blah. He said, that's fine. You will be the head and not the tail. You will be above and not below. In other words, you won't have to take orders. You will give them. Receive it. Yeah? Receive it, folks. For some of you, you have a victim mentality. You're in your organization. You're in wherever you are or your place. And you think that... Oh, it's so bad. It's so this, and I can't do this. Stop it. The reality is that you are a child of God. You will be the head and not the tail. You will be above and not below, which means that you will not be manipulated. You will have God's word for that situation, and you will actually give the orders, not take them. Look what happens here with Paul. It says, Then Paul stood, said to the centurion soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, this is the prisoner. You cannot be saved. So look what happens. So the soldiers got, cut the ropes that held the lifeboat 
and let it drift away. So, you shall be the head and not the tail. He's giving the orders. He's giving direction. The prisoner on a boat, on a way to Italy. Why? Because the word of God is in him. And he's living by that word, and he's living under what God has said to him. Okay. When we have God's word for any situation, we will be able to encourage and give hope to the vulnerable and the fearful in the midst of the marketplace out there. You know, I was up in Nottingham last couple of weeks working up there for my company, and got one of these Airbnb places just to stay overnight. Went to the family there. Well, it was family. Yes, it was. The guy was uh, Afro-Caribbean, Jamaican, come from my part of the world so we could talk some patois. <laughs> I eat some hard food. <laughs> right? Anyway, I noticed just over the, the girlfriend a real heaviness. I thought, oh, she's a sadness, I think would be the word. So anyway, Thursday night I came back and she was sitting in the front room and he was dead and he kind of disappeared off to see his daughter. So she started to talk and I just said, I just sensed the presence of God come into the room. And I said, you're struggling, aren't you? And you know, she began to just speak a bit self-revealing about certain things. And I just sensed that two relationships that she'd had and she'd been betrayed. So we just got before God and she just made confession of the way she'd been hurt and she just experienced God's love and mercy. And I mean, she just said to me afterwards, I really needed that. Now, you say to me, well, you are a pastor. That is what you're supposed to do. Look, friends, as I said to the other group, I don't get paid for this. I'm like you. Well, I'm not like you because there's only one of me. That's quite enough. <laughs> But the point is this, you know, because easy people just say, well, you know, he's the pastor. He's supposed to do this thing. Look, friends, let me tell you this. The fact is that God wants you to do that stuff. Wherever you are, whatever your situation, wherever you work, wherever you live, God wants you to be there so that you can be a light, that you can give encouragement, you can strengthen the weary with the word in the midst of the storm. Amen. Amen. And, amen. And it's not just for the pastors, it's for every one of us. Why do you think we do all these equipped courses and all the rest of it? It's like we can be equipped to be effective in the marketplace. And Paul was in the marketplace, he's in a boat, and he's the man. Because the anointing of God is on him. Even though he's a prisoner at the bottom of the hierarchy. But he's the one who's running things because the Spirit of God is on him. To use colloquial language. So let's look on. Acts 27, 33 to 38. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread gave thanks to God in front of all of them. And I just stopped there and I said in the last service, this idea of pluralistic private religion, he didn't do this privately, he did it in front of all of them. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether there were 276 of, on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, as we say in Jamaican vernacular, they ate their belly full. They lightened the ship by throwing the groin into the sea. Hmm. Paul's there. He's taking the lead. 
He's looking after the people. He's encouraging them to eat because the word of God is in him. Look, friends, wherever you live, whatever you do, whatever job you do, God puts you there as a light. He puts you there to strengthen the weary with the word. He puts you there to speak a word of encouragement. He puts you there to lift up the downcast, to bind up the brokenhearted, to speak release to the captives, just as Jesus did. When we have God's word for any situation, the protection of God is afforded to us and those around us. And I said, you know, if you're going on a plane journey, find out if there's anybody there with unfulfilled prophecy in their life, because you know you will arrive. Yeah. You get on the plane with someone who's got unfulfilled prophecy, you know you're going to arrive, you can relax. Okay, let's read here. Acts 27, 42 to 44 to bring it home. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life. I think that's God's protection. Hello? And kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to the land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. And here's the point, friends, you know, if you are where God wants you to be, the people around you are safe. The organization you might work for, God has you there for a purpose. And while you're there, the chances are that organization is going to be, a while, going to be okay. And God will give you those people there. Now then, whatever storms you may face, band come please. Yes, because I forgot last time. <laughs> whatever storms we may face as individuals or as a community of God's people, like Paul, we need to learn to hold on to that word. Just as we're holding on to the word that God has given us in the growing family campaign. And we've had to hold on, haven't we? We've had to persevere. We've taken licks, to use the common vernacular. We've taken hits. But we've held on to what God has said. That he wants to make his name known in this community. And he wants us to reach out to the poor, to the broken. And he wants us to have what I call holistic Christianity. Spirit, soul and body. Where we deal with people holistically. Not by giving them portion, potions. But introducing them to the good news of the gospel. Teaching them how to eat and live properly, etc., etc. God has called us to do this. And we've had to hold on to it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. But as we believe and trust in the Lord and not lean on our own understanding. You know why? Because God is able to do a seeding abundantly above that which we ask or think. He's a good father. He's a good God. And he would want to work in your life his word so that when the storms come, you remain upright. You're able to embolden those with whom you work with faith. You're able to strengthen the weary with a word. You're able to give hope to those who are downcast. You're able to uplift those who are falling apart because you have his word in your heart. I'm going to finish with this little quote from a hymn. 
I'm not going to sing it. How good is the God we adore, our faithful, unchangeable friend, whose love is as great as his power, and he knows neither measure nor end. Tis Jesus, the first and the last, whose spirit shall guide us safe home. We'll praise him for all that is to past and trust him for all that is to come. Please stand. I have known some joy and some pain In the loss my hopes unchanged Through the storm I know I'm loved I have not placed you shoreline far too long Wasted time and wasted song So let me run into your sea For the
Father, all the earth is yours. And there is no other God like you amongst the gods. We bless your name, mighty God. Thank you, Lord. As you know, it's our practice here to pray before the service. And we have a team here who've got some words here. And if any of these resonate with you, please come to my right, your left. And we'd love to pray for you because God is in this place. And it's, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. He restores our soul. And if maybe this morning you're not a follower of Jesus and you'd like to be introduced to him, you come too. That you might know what it is to be calm in the midst of the storm because it's Jesus that holds us. So we have a boy, uh, a beast boy with a sting, uh, who's stung by a bee rather, a lady with uh, circulation problems, someone with broken bones, someone with a problem at the top of their spine, someone with a right ear, uh, says it's a flying type problem, which means when you're in a plane, I assume. Problem with a right hip, an, an old injury. Someone with a, a breathing problem. Someone with a skin problem, kind of warts. And it was felt today that before even prayer took place, people would be healed. If any of that resonates with you, please come and we'd love to pray for you. Now the blessing as we go out into the week. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And may you know his peace. May you know his presence. May you know his power. May you know his pleasure. And may you know his provision. From this time forth and for always. And everybody said, Amen. The Lord bless you. Tell someone about Jesus and bring them along. Have a great week. Amen.